Episode 3. The Outbreak Exhibit Breaks Out. We're good. So this is like my usual walk into my office, actually. Um, I'm actually in earlier than this usually. I'm just hardwired for early rising. But also, it's a nice time to, you know, um, focus on some things that might otherwise get pushed to the back burner during the day. Days get really full and really fast. Animal health is just as important, is so, so uh, intertwined with human health. And environmental health, of course, plant health and soil health and climate health. You know, all Clean of these water. things. Planetary health, um, yeah. one health, all the healths. Um, oh, yes. That was something we thought about a lot. It's, it's most fun to see it when it's full of people, when the public's actually interacting with all this stuff we created and all these experiences we want to provide. But when it's quiet like this, you can at least take in it all at once. Uh. to the PDR podcast, the podcast where we talk about prevention, detection, and response to infectious diseases around the world. Today is a very special episode as I am in a museum. Yeah, I'm at the Smithsonian Natural History Museum, and today I get to go on a private behind-the-scenes tour of the Outbreak exhibit, and I get to bring you with me. Let's go. I am being joined by Dr. Sabrina Schultz. She is the curator of the Outbreak Exhibit at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History. Um, and I'm going to let her tell you guys her background because it's really fascinating and interesting. Dr. <laughs> Schultz, would you please? Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. I am a curator of biological anthropology at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. So, um, biological anthropology is one kind of anthropology. I focus on the biological aspects of uh, human variation and development and evolution. And so my PhD is in anthropology. I started out with just a love of history and human culture and uh, archeology span actually is how I got into this line of work. Um, going way back to even high school, when I really started to commit to this idea of um, doing this for life. Uh, not knowing where I would end up, of course, but just following my passion for the uh, material. And so I, I, I you know, went all the way through school um, into my doctorate, you know, thinking that I'd probably be a professor, you know, um, as so many of us are. You should just stay strictly in academia. But when the opportunity when the job opened up at this museum to be a curator um, of biological anthropology it was an extraordinary you know um, uh, uh, way um, that I couldn't fully realize at the time to really engage in science 
to do research, but also to um, use an unrivaled platform um, to educate the public um, and really make a difference, you know, on a global scale with the kind of things that interest me the most um, right. and that I think are most important. And so what I think is really, really important and sort of the one theme I think throughout all the research um, and stuff that I do is health, mm -hmm. right? So I, I see health as like from a, as a biological anthropologist, as a way of understanding how we interact with the environment, how we express, you know, um, maybe a misadjustment to the environment or, or a way that uh, we're encountering things that we haven't before. And that's certainly what we're seeing. Um, nowadays with emerging infectious diseases, right? That um, we're changing our behavior, um, our interactions with animals. We're being exposed to microbes, to pathogens, um, with which we have no evolutionary history, you know, no sort of uh, um, uh, immunity or resistance or um, any way to really um, uh, live with them that does not cause significant um, disease and death. So that has been a really interesting perspective to bring into this project, but I did not come into this museum thinking that, you know, that's something that I was really going to be talking about. Emerging infectious diseases were not um, a way that I really saw myself focusing all my energy and time. but. Um, when Dan Lucy brought us the idea for the exhibit, and I was um, I was brought into it, uh, it quickly became clear that it was the best way and probably the most important thing um, that I could be doing in a lot of ways to um, do to fulfill my responsibilities and and really um, use my privileges to talk to the public. That's amazing. So let's talk really quickly about sort of the um, the statistics of the exhibit. You know, like how big it is, how many visitors we've had, um, just sort of the the basics so that people know what they're going to walk into. Because I think people are going to go again after this. I hope. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so I will say again and again, I had not done an exhibit. I never thought about doing exhibit. I mean, a lot of the early stages, and we're talking about a three, four year process just to right. open the show. Right. Um, a lot of those early meetings and that initial period was me just getting oriented to the world of uh, exhibitions, uh, which is represented by a whole wing of our museum that is on the other side of this, you know, like three city block structure, which might as well be, you know, like in, in some ways, just a different um, system altogether because you really only interact around these projects. And it's a very different way of thinking about, you know, um, how to present information. As a scientist, we tend to, um, you know, be a lot wordier, a lot more technical, and um, probably not always um, the most effective in reaching all of the different kinds of people that come into this museum. And so, um, yeah, the the exhibit um, it is 4,400 square feet. It's a pretty good sized exhibit. It's got a good location in our museum, and that's off the rotunda. Second floor, guys. Second floor. <laughs> that's right. And you know, I. I 
I, I've learned a lot about traffic patterns in our museum, <laughs> and not as many people come onto the second floor. Thanks, Taylor. What? Um, Go to the second uh, floor. You know, um, we're fortunate that we're near the cafeteria. I guess um, <laughs> there's a sign to a cafe at the end. People entrance. gotta eat. Um, you know, you do what you can, but um, that is a good size for any exhibition. Certainly yeah. for us, um, it did take several years to plan out all that space. Uh, it's up for three years, so it will be up for almost as long as it took to develop the thing. Um, and the attendance has been quite good. Uh, but, you know, we get six, seven million visitors a year in this museum. I think probably a third of them are making it through our hall by our estimate, Okay. Um, which is quite exciting. That means we're looking at millions and millions of people by the end of the show that will have seen it. Um, and that's just the people who are coming here into this building to see the main exhibition. Right, because you guys um, have done something super unique with right. this exhibit. Yeah, so um, Outbreak was new for, in so many ways for, for all of us. I mean, it had, when it had a new curator, um, I, think it was, I think it was the first time that we had some external partners. You know, all the people I was working with, um, Dan Lucy, John Epstein, um, Dennis Carroll, Larry Madoff, um, so many folks across so many organizations and disciplines, um, stakeholders um, and, and experts to, to help make sure we got everything right, that I could uh, be the best curator possible. But also our first time as a museum doing a topic on public health. Um, which is quite cool to see that we can do it mm -hmm. and that people respond to it and we're actually meeting a need and we can you know, communicate the science in a way that still makes sense, um, aligns with our mission. And also the first time that we've tried a do-it-yourself exhibit model. This was created just for Outbreak uh, because we all felt, I certainly felt, that we weren't really making good on our um, you know, statements about this being a global problem and that the most appropriate and effective responses, you know, to each outbreak um, vary depending on uh, the context, right? right. Their, their, their setting and um, the specific factors. And certainly as anthropologists, I'm aware that you always have to be thinking about the behaviors and the traditions and, um, you know, those sort of those human issues that will always come into play. Um, and that we can't know about, no one can know all about, um, and which are best uh, known and um, communicated by the communities themselves. So the do-it-yourself um, exhibit for Outbreak um, was a process of boiling down our content into 16 panels, reprogramming the multimedia pieces, the videos and the games for easy use, basically taking everything we could to make it portable and printable and flexible mm -hmm. and usable for free and also um, providing guidance and tips and resources for people to customize, to localize their content, create their own panels, tell their own stories, um, promote their shows, assess their visitors, train their volunteers, um, just do outbreak yourself. And uh, we've seen that be tremendously successful. I mean, we started out with a really, I, I don't even know if we set you know, any goals in terms of how many places or how many uses or what we even thought we knew success would look like. Um, but now I, I see a map of the world. I see that Outbreak DIY has been used you know, in every part of it. And I see photos coming in you know, every week um, on social media or being sent to us. We don't require it, but we certainly enjoy it, um, of Outbreak DIY being used in libraries and schools and 
gardens and parks and malls and museums and health centers. And we're talking about places like, you know, on the beach in, uh, in, in Rio de Janeiro or in a hospital in um, Ib City in Yemen, um, in a community health center, as I mentioned, um, in North Kivu, DRC, um, in a science museum outside Bangkok in Thailand. I mean, it's... That has been phenomenal. We've seen um, the content, which we provide in five additional translations besides English, um, translate into, I think, at least four or five more. And I think there have been dozens of panels created by different users at this point. Um, we certainly did one. We did one last yeah. year at the Bali conference. Yeah, and so you see, you see, um, in some cases, uh, people want to highlight the good work of you know a particular organization. Um, sometimes they want they use our, our template to um, uh, highlight local heroes, to tell a few stories of, of people that um, communities will know. We've seen photos just swapped out for something that you know is more familiar um, to to the the people in that place, um, and we've seen different diseases highlighted. I mean, I think in Kenya, you know, there were additional panels made about um, Rift Valley fever and brucellosis. We've seen panels made about measles in Washington State, uh, about MERS in Thailand. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that. For me, as the curator who had to make those tough decisions about the stuff that we couldn't include in the outbreak exhibition because there's not enough space and we couldn't, we couldn't do it well, um, it's been a relief to see that other people can uh, sort of uh, can do that and and kind know, of crowdsource curating, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, and so we're still seeing um, it grow, and I don't know when that's going to stop, but that's a good kind of spread. Well, hopefully, so. <laughs> yeah, hopefully never. And, and this sort of brings me to a really um, important point, and the thing that I love about this is, is we talked um, in our tour, which we've already done, but we'll, we'll probably be after this conversation in the episode. Um, we talked about how 80% of the visitors to the museum are American, they're domestic. Yeah. Um, and, and what you've done here is you've basically democratized access to this really important, um, really important exhibit, and I think really important public health issues. And the thing that I really love, and I've told you this before, going through this exhibit is the massive diversity that is represented. Yeah. And I wanted to sort of take a second and highlight that and let you sort of talk about how you guys went about making these really difficult decisions and how much diversity sort of played a role, making sure to keep diversity in the exhibit played a role in those decisions? It played a huge role, yeah, in just about every decision we make um, and, and the things that I was thinking about. Diversity in geography, right? All the different outbreaks that we highlight, I mean, those are in different parts of the world. We want people to understand that an outbreak can happen everywhere. They do happen everywhere, and they're a threat anywhere. Um, diversity in people. You know, we are aware, yes, that mostly we have English speakers coming through our exhibit. Um, and so we are thinking about, you know, we're, we're writing in English, we're communicating in that language, but um, we don't want this to just be an American experience. And we were always concerned that, you know, we would um, 
uh, we, we were always very cautious about um, showing any dominant perspective or um, you know suggesting that this wasn't truly something that you know was uh, being um, you know uh, done in collaboration globally and diversity in terms of skill sets and, and, and work um, certainly people seeing all the different ways you can be useful and smart and, you know, important, um, you know, that really that is the essence of, of, you know, um, a really powerful team, you know, just, um, building on each other's strengths and working together. Um, and I think, you know, just I, diversity in terms of, um, the, in terms of, um, I guess I'm going to say the natural world, right? Like, uh, it's not just a human problem. Everywhere you see something like human, you're going to see something about an animal, like a non-human animal in our exhibit. Animal health is just as important, is so, so uh, intertwined with human health. And environmental health, of course, plant health and soil health and climate health. You know, all Clean of these water. things. Planetary health, yeah. um, one health, all the healths. Um, oh, yes. That was something we thought about a lot. Every photo, you know, trying to think about, can we show, um, you know, like an animal that might be unexpected? Can right. we, are we showing an ecosystem, you know, like uh, that, uh, you know, um, people need to be aware is also um, something included in this story. I remember, for example, when we were going through that first piece that has the seven screens, you know, coordination showing different images. And at one point, you know, we, I remember when we were very concerned that we had too many tropical ecosystems, <laughs> you know, that were really not showing, yeah, um, geographic um, or natural diversity in the way that's most appropriate. So things like that. Yeah. And that was always a conversation. And I think that we had a really functional team. Um, everyone, everyone, you know, was going above and beyond to make this the best exhibit possible. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the curator. I'm in charge of you know the content. I'm responsible for the science. But at every conversation we had about content, you know, we had the educator, the graphic designer, the writer. Everyone was right. like giving their opinions. Yeah, um, they now, all matter. Yeah. You mentioned planetary health. Yeah. <laughs> and you and I know each other in part from this exhibit, but also because. A couple of years ago, you and Dan Lucy did an entire seminar series here yes. on planetary health, which I went to like a nerd and loved it. <laughs> um, but planetary health, I think, is is even less well known and understood as as one health. Mm -hmm. So I would love to at some point do an entire episode on planetary health. Yeah. But can we give people just sort of a little teaser of what planetary health is and and what it what it means to apply a planetary health approach? Sure. So. I mean, we've talked about One Health, um, certainly touched on that, and I think that the same um, concept, you know, applies for planetary health. You know, seeing this interdependence and this interconnectedness of, of human health um, and the systems um, and the, you know, all that surrounds us, basically. One Health seems to, I mean, it does um, have particular focus on um, zoonotic diseases, on, on just human-animal um, uh, interactions and, um, yeah, shared uh, pathogens. And so I think that there's a heavy veterinary 
um, and, and, and medical. Um, I'm uh, making I'm making a little please face in, right now. In, uh, in that field. Whereas planetary health, I think, certainly includes that. Right. Um, and um, infectious diseases as, you know, one of the human health um, problems that, you know, um, relates to our larger issues of environmental health. But it's looking at other... Uh, all of the other, all the other ways that we're impacting the planet, um, and in turn impacting, yeah, our own health. Um, cool. Yeah. And now we're going to go through the exhibit. For those of you who have the opportunity to go to DC and go tour the exhibit, and you want to use this as maybe a guide as you go through the exhibit, which I recommend. Actually, I think it would be pretty cool. Um, for your information, we entered from the rotunda side. Um, there are two ways to get into the exhibit, and we went in through sort of from the middle of the museum, not from the outside. And here we go. So to orient everybody, we are walking into the Outbreak exhibit, and the first thing that you see when you walk in is this video about One Health. Yeah, seven screens and coordination showing images um, and in 90 seconds giving a basic summary of the exhibit, just laying out the problem, you know, of emerging zoonotic diseases and then presenting what we can do to fight them. And of course, as a veterinarian, you know I love that you guys use zoonotic diseases to in, like sort of orient everybody to the idea of outbreaks. Absolutely, and you know, um, and we have that, that. It wouldn't have made sense for us to do this project any other way because we are a natural history museum. Our mission is to help people understand the natural world and the place of humans within it, and so to provide an ecological context for the emergence of new diseases in humans is the best way for us to talk about these issues. So then the next thing that we see is this beautiful display with some awesome bats. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they, I mean, models of bats. Models yeah. of bats, not um, a lot of bats. But as anatomically accurate as they can be, I mean, we really, there's not a single detail that we didn't think about, and particularly about, you know, correct species and, you know, um, just... And also, you know, the, the, the details down to what humans are doing in these images and representations and things like that. We want it to be as accurate as possible. In the next section, we're going to see, you know, um, a representation of a person carrying real ceramic pots from Bangladesh uh, that were so extensive and difficult to get here, but added that authenticity that we always want to provide when possible. But yeah, so we're in the One Health section, and I think it's amazing to learn even even now, how many people, like highly educated people in a city like DC, still have not heard of One Health? I mean, just this big idea of One Health is, is you know, um, the I think the the best thing we can have people leaving this exhibit with. And so, I think a lot of our listeners do know what One Health is, but for those for whom they are very highly educated, but they don't exactly know what it is. Right. So what is One Health? One Health is the perspective. It's uh, a framework for understanding that human health and animal health 
and environmental health are all connected. Such a such a concept, right? Yes. You know, we've got up on the wall there Billy Koresh's quote, you know, right? the coiner of this term, One yeah. Health, from the Washington Post, 2003, talking about, I think, die-offs in gorillas from Ebola um, virus infection, but saying human or livestock or wildlife health can't be discussed in isolation anymore. There is just one health. Right? Yep. All right. So more bad. Yeah. So I mean, once people get that that orientation, they get yeah. that idea in their head, then we start giving them, presenting them with these stories, these one health stories. So they walk into this section where we're focusing on spillover, you know, and outbreaks. Um, that that first step in the progression of a new disease to a pandemic, potentially. And uh, they're seeing a story of a uh, Nipah virus mm -hmm. in Bangladesh. And you know we're showing you know the the pots hanging from um, the date palm trees, collecting the sap that people were consuming raw when it went to market, and then we were seeing they were seeing seasonal infections of this virus, and understanding that you know the bats that were visiting those pots at night and shedding the virus into the pots were were causing the infection, and that was how they developed these interventions to lower risks of spread. Um, yeah, so it's quite cool. We've got another flying bat there. I mean, they're huge. People, I, I think one of the more common questions, at least in these sections, that I, I hear um, is, are they really that big, these tropists, these, these like giant like uh, fruit bats? And yes, they have the largest bats on the planet. <laughs> Apparently, uh, I've been assured by our bat experts that they are within range. <laughs> That's amazing. They're amazing, yeah. and I kind of love them. Well, and so those are like, um, you know, they're different kinds of learners. Right. Um, visitors with like different you know um, ways that they best learn who are coming through this hall I mean we know that our visitors 80% of them are domestic tourists right okay so we've already had probably close to 2 million people come through this hall since we opened okay but most of those are people from the US they're coming as families they're probably almost certainly not here to see outbreak they're looking <laughs> for something else they may not know anything or want to even you know learn about any of this right um, but we know how maybe we can engage them um, just with the general ways that people kind of respond to our content and so right now we're standing in front of a 3d print model of the virus that's something that people can touch that's a tactile yeah. experience but this is this is not true to size this is many many no many, exactly many times exactly yeah we magnified one million times yes yep, yep. Uh, but so that's, you know, sort of, I don't know, kind of um, experience and learning those, the bats and the pots and stuff like this. I mean, these are for people like objects, you know, right. who want to see something. But then some people like their ideas, people. They want, they like the One Health thing or, the, you know, they're, they're people, people. They like the stories. We've got... We've got 42 different personal perspectives throughout this hall. Right. Um, like here, okay, we're, we're walking into the section about international spread of disease. Right. So if you can't stop human-to-human -human transmission, people get on planes, something goes worldwide. That's exactly what happened with SARS, starting with a live animal market, which we show here. Um, and so our personal perspective is David Heyman, for example, um, mm -hmm. talking about his role, I think at that time, he was with WHO, about the, you know, what the steps they took, um, what they had to do, um, they, the people responding globally in coordination to contain that situation. Right. We've got a video that, that you know, shows that sort of, uh, yeah, 90 seconds, right? But if, if you don't have um, that success, 
um, in that period of time, um, then you get a true pandemic. Um, and even though we opened last year at the centenary of the Spanish influenza, and you right. can see we have a little nod to that of over course. there, we, we knew, of course, that people would be reading about the news and want to know more about it. And flu is, pandemic flu is still such a major concern. Oh my God, yes. Um, yeah, in this section, we made the decision that we wanted to talk about as a pandemic for people to know about um, HIV. Right. Because it is such a global problem still, we have the tools to end it, and uh, we have such a painful, um, complicated history in this country. You know, four decades plus of science and activism and healthcare change and policy change. Um, that characterize our story. And so we've got that timeline there that tells all that. We've got amazing objects from American history that are on loan, um, like a, a bottle from, you know, from the clinical trial of AZT, um, you know, and, and um, uh, buttons that people were wearing to raise awareness, um, condoms that were being mailed out to help with prevention. We've got a, you know, act up t-shirt, you know, to represent just how people were responding and being impacted uh, by the situation. But, you know, that, that, that timeline just talks about AIDS in America. And we don't want people to think in any part of this hall that this isn't a global problem. And so here we're standing in front of um, a, a, a digital, like a multimedia piece that we created um, for a social learning experience. So we've visualized the UN AIDS goals, you know, to um, end the AIDS pandemic by 2030. Um, and here we're showing the targets um, that different, you know, uh, regions and countries, um, and the, globally we need to hit um, to get people tested and treated and virally suppressed uh, to make that happen. And so people can activate um, different regions of the world. Um, again, we're pulling directly from UN AIDS data, so how they, they identify their regions and how they, they um, group their uh, data. And uh, people can see that one, you know, trends in uh, new infections since 2010 are not all the same. Right. Some are going up. Um, well, one is going up certainly in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, um, although others are going down. Mm -hmm. You know, there are big differences in how near or far these different regions are to those targets. Um, you know, and that has to do with, you know, who are the key populations, who, what are the groups that represent uh, um, disproportionately these new infections. Um, and there's a social context for that, you know, understanding is it people who are injecting drugs, is it, you know, people who are, you know, um, men who have sex with men, is it sex workers, is it, you know, people who are, you know, uh, maybe just excluded from testing and treatment um, and those resources and care in, in many ways. Um, and that's really heavy. And, you know, to, you know, um, here we're seeing as, you know, we've sort of been seeing and will continue to see throughout the hall a motif of on the upside. The last yeah. piece of information that you can get, the last thing you can see on these little regional bubbles um, is a short story of the, on the theme of on the upside, okay. uh, which is our way to uh, try to stay positive or give people some hope, at least, yeah. um, that we are making a difference, that it is possible, that behavior change and you know uh, knowledge um, can uh, you know um, help us tackle these these problems and so we've got these stories uh, for each region just one example 
of things that they're working and people who are getting help. Well, because there is hope, right? Like we have the science and we have done all of this massive research and work in responding to these outbreaks. Yeah. We now know kind of how to do it. And now we're coming up on my favorite and least favorite, <laughs> simultaneously favorite uh -huh. and least favorite part yeah. of the exhibit, the larger than life. How big is that? Six 400 feet? times life size, uh, 80s Egypti, mosquito, the uh, <laughs> deadliest animal <laughs> on the planet, certainly. Uh, here, it's attracting attention, you know. Very uh, much. Drawing attention to our story about uh, Zika virus, right. our One Health story right. about that epidemic situation. But uh, also, it, it's showing with incredible accuracy and detail the anatomy of these incredible animals. Right, and it's just looming overhead. Yeah, you know, it, threatening it's, it's very the life of It is, it is, <laughs> but it's fascinating, right? I mean, when yeah. you see what they really look like. Um, fascinating, yeah. it's disgusting, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that looks, I mean that, 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 that model was built overseas and brought here <laughs> and mounted in a very ingenious yeah. Yeah, ways. I mean, it looks straight I, out of Godzilla. Right. Not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, that was built for this exhibit. We just didn't have this, you know, kind of like, yeah, at the, uh, in, the, uh, in the warehouse. Right. Um, so let, we all have to talk about Ebola's over there, and Ebola right. was a catalyst for this exhibit. Of course. So it's got a very special place in our history as well yep. as a very important place yep. in the world of global health. And as you know, our first podcast was with Dr. Dan Lucy yes. about the current Ebola outbreak. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked about that. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it, it really is sort of the thing that launched a lot of us into this space. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Certainly for me, I was. Um, I was a student, yeah. actually, in 2014, and I was doing rotations around the city, and I happened to be at DHS, and I happened yeah. to be up in the BioWatch just observing when they reported their first, their first sort of indication that there was Ebola coming. Oh, wow. So they were, the first case that they were talking about, I just happened to be in the room that day. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So, and then when that became, you know, a couple of months later, when that was really big news and it was a massive outbreak, it was sort of one of those things where I went, wow, I need to, I need to do something about this. And I had yeah. met a lot of the people in, in the global health security agenda. And I just sort of started calling everybody and saying, can I come work with you? Can I come do stuff? Oh, wow. And everybody would say, well, we can't pay you. Yeah. And I'd say, I don't care. <laughs> I'm still a student. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. That's interesting. I mean, for me, I mean, similar experience, but opposite, actually, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, way, way of, of, of getting into this. I mean, I, I had the same reaction. I remember in that summer when the epidemic was really hitting its peak. It was just so out of control. It was so terrifying. It was the biggest science story in my mind. I, I was a new curator at this museum. I started here in February 2014. So I remember those first few months, like, you know, when I wasn't trying to like, just like get a printer or, you know, like get my badge working or finding, you know, the mail room um, <laughs> or all the things you do when you're, when you're settling into a new place that's this big and, and uh, overwhelming. I was, re I was just reading all these stories and I was, you know, I, I was, I was, you know, um, really following, you know, what we were learning and, you know, trying to keep track of, you know, how well we were doing and feeling just so, you know, um, I guess, uh, I don't know, just, uh, 
I was saddened that I couldn't do anything more than care. I did, well, here's I'm the thing. I'm gesturing at the, the whole exhibit, you guys. Right, and so <laughs> at that time, though, I'd never done an exhibit. You know, that was not on my radar. You know, they tell you not to do exhibits, not to sort of take on something that big, you know, when you are in your early stage of, of, of a job like this as a curator here at this museum. And so it never occurred to me, you know, that I would in any way be involved in that work. I mean, the kind of research I do, like I'm studying health in the ancient past. I'm not studying newly emerging diseases. That's certainly not something that I can I can do um, with the kind of science um, that's in my wheelhouse. But when the idea suddenly came to our museum from Dan Lucy to do this exhibit, um, and then I was literally recruited to be the lead curator of this exhibit. You know, like I, I, I might have said, I might have backed off. I might not have said yes as quickly had it been about anything else. But I saw this as a possible opportunity to maybe do something that mattered related to Ebola and related issues. And now, now, you know, five years later, and with without without break, and then with the do-it-yourself version of this exhibit, which is yep. going all around the world, and we will get into that. You when know, we go and like sit down and have a yeah. conversation. Yeah, I mean, I've I'm now seeing my work up on you know like community health center walls in yeah. North Kivu in Ebola yeah. to try to educate people and actually contain, you know, deal with the problems they're having right now. And that's very meaningful and that's wonderful. So we can't yeah. leave we can't <laughs> leave this section without talking about this. Yeah. So this we're saying in front of like this massive, I mean it's massive in terms of like just a large size, um, really dominates this whole section. This game multiplayer game, the theme of this whole section is working together. Uh, so with all our exhibits, you know, you got that big idea, mm -hmm. ours is one health, but then you have supporting messages. Right. You have sort of like, you know, you, you drill down a bit for other things you want people to understand. And for us, a big one was that, you know, one health, um, that something that broad and complicated um, requires collaboration and coordination and all different disciplines working together. And so this game just kind of sums up that whole experience of responding to an outbreak, figuring out what makes people, what's making people sick, where did it come from, how is it spreading, and how can we prevent the next outbreak. Um, and so I, don't, I, mean, I don't know if we have time to play through. It's five minutes. Right. Um, but I will say about the development of this piece, um, it was the most challenging element of this exhibit, I have to say. Um, I am not a gamer. <laughs> I don't know anything about gameplay. I mean, we, we are working with a media company that we contracted to help us produce this piece. Um, but still, you know, it was, it was up to our core team to, you know, uh, create the content. Right. Um, you know, what are the missions going to be? What should these, what images should we be using? What, you know, what are people doing? How is that fun? Is that accurate? Can they fail? How do we measure success? All of this. Um, and so, you know, I, I, we, um, we had a wonderful um, chief science advisor on this team, John Epstein from EcoHealth Alliance. And I want to say that most of John's precious, <laughs> you know, valuable, uh, very important time was spent on this game. Right. Um, I think that we talked about nothing but this game for a good period of over a year, certainly. Um, almost, you know, just everything to do with, uh, you know, how do we even design an experience that everyone can enjoy um, that will will reach hit those learning goals right 
And the thing I love about this, because I, I come to this exhibit on a fairly regular basis. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, any of my okay. friends come into town, and they get dragged in Good. here, and, and I sort of show them all the stuff, and I show them the mosquito, and they all get freaked out. And oh, then I okay. bring them to this game, and we can almost never play it because there's always there are always kids playing. Aww. And I watch these kids sort of interact with it and learn, and I watch them get right answers, and I watch them be very proud of it. And the thing that always strikes me and the thing that I love about it is I see these kids sort of get like, this is not a big impossible task. Like, yeah. it, you know, we can all work on this and we can, we can get the right answers. It's not, I mean, not to use the expression, but it's not rocket science, right? Like well, we can all do yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that, I, I, I love that. I love to hear yeah. that, that, and I've seen that as well. But oh, yeah. kids, never it's any really room fun. Never. It's really fun. Um, certainly, you can fail this game. Yes. You know, you can you can fail to stop the outbreak, and your coordinator gets so disappointed. <laughs> the actress who we have play this part is oh, wonderful at making you feel guilty. <laughs> uh, but you know that happens if, as a team, you fail. But. You know, each player is sort of doing their piece of each, you know, sort of level, um, their own mission. And so you can, you know, fail. You can do poorly at one, yet you can still succeed as a team. Because you're still sharing information and, you know, you're kind of, uh, it's the synergy of your strengths, as Dan Lucy says. <laughs> it's uh, such a Dan Lucy comment. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, that can really um, equal success. So we're, we're getting towards the end, and there's this whole wall. Well, you wall feel that. I mean, it of, feels you know, like people yeah, I know. Uh, absolutely. And people yeah. that I love. Yeah. I mean, this is another way to show a lot of our personal perspectives. I mean, we, I, it was hard to decide who would be the individuals that would represent a certain field or line of work or um, skill set. And so really, we were just trying to show as much diversity as possible, connecting what our younger visitors like and might right. be good at to um, what people actually do for their careers, like very right. different careers. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we see, yeah, like, um, you know, wildlife vet here. We see Inger Damon, who's a virologist, right? Yep. Uh, Bonnie Jenkins and, and policy piece, I think. Yep. Junicia yeah. Hoyle yep. is our, right there. Our last yeah. coordinator. Yeah, we've got... And um, she used a picture with me in it because oh, okay. she's the kindest human being Oh, <laughs> it's a great photo. And um, Lara uh, Golagi from yeah. WH Shaw, editor of the Bulletin. Yep. And then over here we've got, yeah, John Brownstein. Yep. You know, uh, from Health Map, and so, you know, that's a wide range of talents, and these people will know each other, I think, you know, and certainly I know them all <laughs> at this point. I'm very fortunate um, that, you know, uh, in doing this exhibit, I've just, you know, created, you know, developed this really amazing network um, of experts in this space, and it's definitely impacted my research, you know. I mean, you can't really go back from all this, and you wouldn't want to, you know, waste um, all that that time um, and all that investment in building these relationships. And so we're now in the research section. Uh, we're seeing some examples of specimens from our collections that have been used for infectious disease research. There's a human skull there, which represents what I do. You picked out the skull? Exactly. Yes. I absolutely. I picked out that exact skull to tell the story or to represent the work that my colleagues and I are doing. Now, is that the skull that research. you're holding in the picture of you that I always see everywhere? No. That's not? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Probably not. But, you know, it's... <laughs> 
I have a lot of scones. Uh, so, um, and 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 let's not um, let's not leave the research section without oh, uh, noting that we also talk a lot about research that we don't do at this museum, mm -hmm. but is so important, and that's vaccine development, right? Um, and production, and so here we're vaccines talking, work. Vaccines work. <laughs> vaccines, you know, are you know just uh, one of the. One of the greatest gifts to humanity, and um, uh, here we're talking specifically about flu um, because we've got something that people relate to and don't really take seriously enough. Uh, we help people understand um, how flu uh, vaccines are made, and actually, um, this this uh, what we call a. Um, a cap, I think we called a caption, a label. This label right here, so this graphic showing um, so the, the, how, how new strains of influenza are created um, through transmission. Uh, this won an award recently at a, yeah, it's, a I mean, major it's museum conference. Clear. Yeah, just for its um, clarity and visual appeal uh, related to such a complicated um, uh, yeah, um, subject. So. Very, very pleased. Um, Angela uh, Roberts, our, our writer of this exhibit. Um, amazing, Julie Louie, mm -hmm. um, and Shannon Willis, graphic designers. I mean, it was. It took a village, you know, to right. get all this done. Here, we're in the quietest section of the exhibit because we really want it to be contemplative. We want to engender empathy. Here, we're talking about survivors, right. and so we're just letting the stories speak for themselves. It's low tech. Uh, we've got. Um, a number of different um, personal stories um, of survivorship um, from epidemic diseases, HIV, Ebola, um, and pandemic flu, and different types of survivorship. So talking about patients, about caretakers, family, um, communities. We've got some lovely objects in here, um, really powerful. Um, so ways to represent um, what some of these stories are about. Cleve Jones, for example, the creator of the AIDS quilt, um, he chose um, as the object to illustrate his story uh, the bullhorn that he was using when he had the inspiration for the quilt. Mm. It belonged to Harvey Milk. Uh, it's Harvey Milk's bullhorn wow. uh, on loan to us for the, the lifetime of the exhibit for three years so that people can see it um, and learn more about that story as well. Ryan White's mother, Jeannie White, mm -hmm. provided a scrapbook. Um, so people can learn more about Ryan's story and his activism. And there's Dan Lucy telling yeah. the story of, you know, a very special young patient of his in West Africa um, in the Ebola epidemic. We recreated a drawing made by uh, this young boy, Mamadou, um, when he was in, yeah, the, the, the care unit um, to... Uh, raise his own spirits, I think, um, sort of, uh, you know, recover, and then also, of course, raising the spirits of those who took care of him. So, yeah. And Dan recently reconnected with uh, Mamadou. How's he uh, doing? He's, as far as I can tell, quite healthy. He is, um, yeah, a really uh, great-looking young man who I think, uh, yeah, um, to still, you know, Dan showed me the photo. Um, I think uh, for Dan and for other people, just the, the, what that, that story represents, I think yeah. is so powerful and special. Yeah. So, yeah. 
now we're talking about human populations. Well, yeah. So now we're we are leaving the exhibit um, because we came in the front where most of the people will enter. But some people are, are coming through this back entrance. You know, it's a long, um, winding. Um, a linear path that people take and so we want to repeat information for people who have just walked through but also introduce some of our content um, and ideas for those who are uh, just um, getting started and so we've got a timeline here that repeats some of the human drivers that we were talking about mm -hmm. um, in uh, one of the AV pieces one of the videos at the front right. um, talking about yeah urbanization and you know sort of changing interactions with animals um, global travel um, these um, activities that have intensified as population growth human population growth um, has has you know been increasing to the extent that we're becoming at greater risk um, for epidemics, yep. and then finally this last AV piece, um, AV audiovisual, mm -hmm. is uh, I think the best way that we can stay nimble and sort of like on top of the news right. uh, when it breaks um, in this exhibit. Uh, besides the volunteers that we have in here during public hours to actually interact, and that's um, just a, a curated version, a simplified version of health map. You know, right. if you go to healthmap.org, um, you can find something quite similar. And our friends at Health Map and ProMed actually um, made this for us and um, maintain it um, on their own so people can pinch and pull, you know, sort of, um, yeah, uh, go around the world looking at where outbreaks are currently happening and what they are. Um, they can filter, you know, um, what they're seeing if they want to see outbreaks in humans or in domestic animals or wildlife, if they want to see viruses or bacteria, if they just want to see zoonoses, and it helps them, I think, uh, understand, uh, one, if there are any patterns or any places um, that seem to be particularly problematic, but two, that they can see we're all at risk everywhere. Oh my God, These yeah. happen everywhere. Yeah, so, so you're so looking So to orient right everybody, I'm yeah. looking at the Legionnaires outbreak in West Virginia. Uh, which is related to a horse track, a horse race track. Yeah. Um, oh, a hot tub, a hot tub in the jockey room. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's unpleasant. Maintain yeah. maintain your pools, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chlorine is important. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, here we finish with One Health. We we do. So we repeat that quote. Um, yeah. We've got a lot of images here repeated in a mosaic. Um, that uh, people have seen throughout the hall. We repeat our action items, a final on the upside, things you can actually do, right. you know, behavior changes to uh, reduce um, your risk for spreading um, or being infected by these diseases. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I'll say about Mosaic, I mean, we hope to update this, you know, the exhibit it's, it had wonderful you know um, success I think thus far where we just hit our first year anniversary yes um, and so I think that you know uh, it's hard to quantify what kind of impact we may have had but it seems like uh, it's doing some good yeah and you know we've also seen our content um, go around the world mm -hmm. and that's new for us but this is the first time that we've done things about public health and we've um, I think uh, touched on a topic that demands that kind of uh, I guess um, global outreach yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. So now we're walking to my office because uh, yep. uh, it's conveniently not too far from the hall. So we're going to go actually here. record probably the opening part of the, mm -hmm. of the podcast and I'll okay. cut it. Sure. Um, but I'm going to stop that one there. Now you're very active on Twitter. Am I? Yeah. Oh, I well. So I have alerts I on know. for you, and I, I see I see posts I, I see posts you know on a on a regular oh, basis. Oh, I feel like I'm I'm a novice. I feel like I'm yeah not doing enough maybe. But every I mean every time there's there's a post about something really important happening in the world about an outbreak or about a DIY exhibit that's being done, you repost it. Yes. Well, okay. So this is true, and it, <laughs> maybe I'm not even thinking about it that way. Um, and I think that speaks to how how well Outbreak DIY is doing in terms of how many different uses we're seeing because I will always post something if right. I find it. And so that actually turns out to be, I think, more often than I realize. So where where should people follow you? Oh, uh, so my handle, <laughs> hashtag Sabrina B. Schultz. Um, or sorry, not hashtag. Um, at. At, right. at Sabrina B. Schultz. Hashtag Outbreak DIY is right. where you can see all the different images. We're trying to get people to use it, um, you know, who are actually doing uh, these amazing things. But I will certainly repost and put it on there. Uh, and so most of the stuff you'll see at hashtag Outbreak DIY will be from at Sabrina B. Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> and at Enemanich, of course. Right. So, yeah. Which, I mean, I think that's great. Um, so I, I know that you have to get to a lab meeting because you told me you have like 11 yeah, interns. All those initials up on my whiteboard my are, are students. Um, so I want to thank you for your time. Oh, yeah. It's always a pleasure to see you and to work with you. And I love the exhibit. Uh, Outbreak DIY or Outbreak is open for two more years. That's right. At the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History in DC. And a DIY exhibit is probably coming to a location near you because it could be anywhere it could That's be on a right. beach anyone, near you anyone can yeah. use it anyone can reach out and find out more about it so if um, you want to do a diy outbreak if you want to have a transformative life experience as i've had <laughs> um doing one of these shows then uh, yeah do not hesitate to uh get in touch as we all have <laughs> dr schultz thank you so much for being on the You're podcast welcome. for your work here um, I hope this is not the last time that we have you on this podcast. We love working with you. Um, and everybody, have a great, healthy day. Bye. Bye. The PDR podcast supports the activities and efforts of the Next Generation Global Health Security Network. Connect with NextGen on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or on our website, ghsanextgen.wixsite.com. That's G H S A. N-E-X-T-G-E-N dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com. Our Twitter handle is at NextGenGHS. You can search for us on Facebook. You can search for us on LinkedIn. You can search for us on Google. Thank you for listening. The PDR podcast is written and produced by Dr. Taylor Winkleman. All opinions expressed are the speaker's own personal opinions and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any organization that the speaker may have been affiliated with in the past or present. Music by Hyde. You can like, subscribe, and download the PDR podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.